last time I was with you, if you remember well, I, I preached a message on how belief precedes being. That before you and I can become what God has identified us as, we need to believe the word of God. This morning, I'm, I want to preach a parallel message to the one I, I preached, I think, well, three, four weeks ago on the importance of believing before we can achieve, that before we can do what God has called us to do, uh, we need to believe in the enabling and equipping power of God which will allow us to achieve that which God has called us to achieve. I want to do that this morning through looking at a small section of the calling of perhaps Israel's greatest hero, a man named Moses. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, whether it's in print or digital form, I want to invite you to turn in there with me to the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 4. Now, Exodus is one of the easiest books in the Bible to find because there's Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and then there's Exodus. Some of y'all go to Sunday school. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4. And for the purpose of, of our discussion this morning, we're going to be reading and reviewing just three short verses in that chapter. Exodus chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 10, and we'll conclude our, our reading in verse 12. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. I'm reading out of the New International Version of God's Holy Word, but I invite you to feel free to follow in whatever version of God's Word that you have on hand. What I want to do this morning is I want to read God's Word. Uh, then I want to breathe a quick word of prayer. And then I want us to listen as God attempts to speak through me through his Word. Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, my Bible reads this way. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. The word of God for the people of God. Uh, will you pray with me this morning? Father, we do thank you for your word because we know your word contains the truth. And that truth is what we hope to build our lives upon. So as we 
prepare to encounter the truth of your word, Lord God. We pray that our hearts and our minds would be open and receptive to what your spirit will teach so that we can build a foundation for our lives that will not crack under the storms of life, Father God. We want to be people who build our lives on your word. So speak. Your servants are prepared to listen. And we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus and all who are God's people said, amen. amen. Ralph Douglas West tells this story. His eldest son, when he was very young, wanted to be the next Derek Jeter. He wanted to play baseball. He, he wanted to be a shortstop. But there was only one problem that prevented him from becoming the next Derek Jeter. He couldn't field ground balls. Now, I don't watch baseball, nor do I know a whole lot about baseball, but I know one thing. If you want to be a baseball player, you got to be able to catch <laughs> a baseball. So his father agreed to, to help him learn how to catch a baseball. They, they would go to the park every day after school and his father would hit ground balls to him and until his son was proficient enough at catching a baseball that he'd be able to make his, his elementary school team. They did this for weeks on end, but his son never became able to catch a baseball to the point he became so frustrated that came crying to his dad one day after dinner and said, Dad, I'm tired of this. I want to quit. I can't do it. His father didn't protest. He said, I'll let you quit under one condition. If you can go up to my office and, and open the dictionary that I have in my office and, and find the word cannot, I'll let you quit. So his son ran up to his father's office opened the dictionary, but could not find the word cannot. So he went back down to his father and said, I, I can't find the word can't. They thought about it for a little bit, and, and his father told me, is there a word that means the same thing as can't? His son thought, incapable. Well, if you can go up to my office and find the word incapable, then I'll let you quit the baseball team. Son ran up to the office, came back. I, I can't find incapable. Is there another word? Unable. All right, same deal. If you can find unable in the dictionary, I'll let you quit. Couldn't find it. Came back down. Is, is there another word? Powerless. All right. Couldn't find it. Incompetent. Ran up. Couldn't find it. And, and this went on for several different words before his son said, I, I can't find any word that is a synonym of cannot. And his father looked at him and said, I, I guess you won't be able to quit the baseball team then. <laughs> Years after this event happened, his son came to his father and said, Dad, why wasn't I able to find the word cannot? or any synonym of that word, and his, and his father revealed the truth to him. Before you were ever born, 
I knew you would come to a point where you wanted to quit or give up on something. And I never wanted you or any of my children to ever believe that they were not capable of doing what God had called them to do. So I took out of the dictionary every word that was a synonym of cannot. So those words would never be in your vocabulary. And if they were never in your vocabulary, they would never be in your heart. And really that's what I wanna do with us this morning. I wanna take out of your vocabulary every word that is related to cannot. I, I don't want them to be in your mouth because I don't want them to be in your heart because I believe that the God we serve is capable of overcoming what you believe you can't do. Because God is, is capable of turning our incapable into capable. He's, he's terrible, capable of turning our powerless into powerful. He's capable of turning our impotence into potence. You, you get what I'm saying. God is capable of taking your cannot into his can. Exodus chapters three and four contain what is the call of Moses, where God meets Moses in the form of a burning bush. And though the bush is burning, it is never set ablaze. It is here that God will call Moses as Israel's great emancipator. It is through Moses that God will rescue Israel from her seven centuries of servitude. And it's through Moses that God will lead Israel to her place of promise, the land that God swore to give to Israel's patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses serves not just as uh, one of the most important men in Israelites' history, Moses serves as as one of the most important men in redemptive history. And to truly understand how important of an event this call of Moses is, think through your Bibles. Normally, when a prophet is called in, in scripture, the Bible dedicates three or four verses to that calling. God called Isaiah, Amos this, and the word of the Lord came. And, and the more significant callings, such as the call of Jeremiah and the call of Ezekiel take a chapter to narrate. But Moses's call is so significant that it will take all of two chapters to tell us about. And Moses's call becomes the basis for which all other prophetic calls are based upon. When we meet Moses at the beginning of chapter three, he is on the backside of a mountain, tending his father's-in-law's Jethro's sheep, a position that Moses has held for the last 40 years, and a position as far removed as possible 
from the days when Moses was prince of Egypt. When Moses was prince of Egypt, he was second in command to the most powerful person in the most powerful place in the ancient world. But now Moses is second in command in a two-person company. He is assistant shepherd to his father-in-law Jethro. There was a time when Moses oversaw 10,000s of people. Now, Moses tends to just a few hundred sheep. There was a time in, in Moses' life when Moses could say a word and everyone would listen. Now, when Moses says a word, no one listens because no one is there to hear him. To fully appreciate how far Moses has fallen, let, let's put it in, in this way. All of you know who Bill Gates is. He's one of the most rich and most powerful men in the world. Now, imagine one day seeing Bill Gates working in the geek squad at Best Buy. And, and, and that's what has happened to Moses. Moses has gone from being prince, the most powerful nation in the world, to now being assistant shepherd on the back side of the mountain. And that's exactly where God wants Moses to be. Sometimes God has to take us away from power and position and put us in a place of humility on the back side of a mountain so that you and I are capable of hearing God speak to us clearly. Sometimes God has to take things away from us and remove us from people in order for us to be able to hear what God is saying. And God will speak to Moses as the extraordinary breaks through Moses' ordinary routine for 40 years. Day after mundane day, Moses has been following the same routine, taking sheep out to Mount Horeb. Imagine doing the same thing every day for 40 consecutive years of your life. You wouldn't begin to pay attention to anything. The, the routine would just overwhelm you. But, but God breaks in to Moses' routine when a bush that Moses probably saw every day for 40 years begins to burn up. And Moses, rather than turning away, pays closer attention that in the ordinary routine of life, God broke into Moses' ordinary with his extraordinary. And this revelation happens because Moses paid attention. I'm going somewhere with this. God often 
desires to speak to us. And his extraordinary can break into our ordinary if you and I are simply willing to pay attention. But how often do you and I miss on God speaking to us because we turn away instead of looking towards that which God has called us to? How often do we miss the voice of God in, in our ordinary routine? Where God wants to speak to us on the train, but we're so distracted by what's going on that we miss his extraordinary. Where, where God wants to speak to us through people we see every day, but rather than listening, we turn away. It's often difficult for God to break his extraordinary into our ordinary because we don't pay attention when God is, is willing to speak to us. Moses's notice, Moses rather notices the supernatural in the midst of the ordinary. God speaks to Moses and, and gives Moses an assignment to rescue Israel from her period of enslavement in Egypt and lead Israel to the promised land, an assignment that Moses initially rejects, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but for several different occasions, Moses, Moses rejects the call of God. The, the bulk of Moses' call narrative in Exodus 3 and 4 is dedicated to a back and forth dialogue between God and Moses, as God will attempt to answer Moses' various objections to the assignment that God has given him. When God calls Moses, Moses is not simply reluctant to heed the call. Moses is absolutely unwilling. On five different occasions in chapters three and four, Moses will hear God's call and suggest to God that somehow God has picked the wrong man, as if God went looking for somebody and Moses got in the way. <laughs> if there's an excuse that Moses can give to God as to why God should choose someone else for the assignment, Moses will, will give it. I want to encourage you that in your own free time of reading God's word, that, that you read Exodus 3 and 4 in its entirety. In Exodus 3, 11, Moses expresses his unworthiness for such an assignment. He says to God, who am I? Only to have God reassure Moses that he has chosen the right man. And in Exodus 3, 13, Moses says he does not have enough information. And God says to Moses, the only information that you need is that I sent you. In, Moses, in Exodus 4.1, Moses protests saying that the people will not listen to him. So God gives Moses a series of miraculous signs that will convince the people that he is indeed God's messenger. Now we get to the text that we just read, Exodus 4.10. In Exodus 4.10 is Moses' fourth attempt to convince God that God has chosen the wrong person to lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses gives 
an extraordinary excuse. He says to God that I am not competent, I am incapable, I am impotent, I am powerless, I cannot complete the task that you have given me. And Moses says this by saying to God, he is slow of speech. Moses says to God, I cannot talk. We don't know necessarily what Moses means by this. Moses may, may mean that, that he is incapable of speaking. He may mean that he's afraid to speak. Or he may mean that after 40 years of, of not speaking Egyptian, he has lost his fluency in Egyptian. But for whatever reason, Moses says to God, I can't talk. And that's remarkable. Because when we read through the rest of the book of Exodus, when we get to Numbers and we get to Deuteronomy, what do we find Moses doing? Talking. <laughs> in fact, that's all Moses will do in the rest of the books of the Bible that cover his story. He will speak to Pharaoh. He will speak to the nation of Israel. He will give the people God's law. In fact, we will find Moses speaking powerfully, eloquently, competently. Yet, in our passage this morning, Moses says that he cannot do the very thing that we will see him doing throughout the rest of the course of the Bible as we read about his story. And Moses is not unique in this case. Some of the greatest practitioners of a particular task admit that they often felt overwhelmed with a tremendous feeling of self-doubt as they tried to live out their abilities within their insecurities. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that we have ever seen. And if you disagree with me, me and you gonna have to go in the back and fight. <laughs> but he said he worked so hard at basketball because he never believed he was a good basketball player, especially not to the extent that people were claiming he was. Tyra Banks is the highest grossing African-American supermodel of all time. She was the first African-American woman to grace the covers of GQ magazine and Sports Illustrated. And she said she lived with constant insecurities about how she looked, never believing she was pretty enough because she thought her forehead was too big and, and that she was too overweight to be a supermodel. Former President Barack Obama, one of the smartest men that ever sat in the Oval Office, said he never felt he was smart enough to be president. Two-time Oscar winner Tom Hanks said he lived in constant fear that people will one day discover that he is a fraud as an actor. Self-doubt has a way of overwhelming us convincing us that we are incapable of doing the very thing that God has gifted us to do. And this is especially true 
when it comes to the things of God. Satan has a way of making us feel that we're not good enough to do the thing that God has called us to do. The greatest tactic of your enemy, the greatest tactic of my enemy is to try to convince the people of God that they cannot do what God has called us to do. And how many of you sitting here this morning has fallen for Satan's tactics and tricks? How many of you, like Moses, instead of believing that you were capable of doing the very thing that God has gifted you to do, sit on the sidelines because you believe the lie of Satan that you are incapable. Some of you should be singing in the choir, but because you believe Satan, you only sing in the shower. Some of you should be leading a ministry, but because you believe the lie of the enemy, you're hiding your gift. Some of you should be leading people, but because you believe Satan's lies, you are sitting in the pew, all because you believe the lie that Satan has told you, that you cannot or that you are incapable. If you've never heard Mahalia Jackson, then you've missed out hearing on one of the great contralto voices of all time. Mahalia Jackson has rightfully earned the moniker, the queen of gospel music. She started her musical career when she was just 16 years old. She was singing in the church choir of the Greater Salem Baptist Church of Chicago. But Mahalia Jackson, one of the most powerful voices that you and I will ever hear, was singing so low that no one could hear her. She felt that her voice was not good enough. If not for the ear of Thomas Dorsey, who was the choir director at the time, who could hear Mahalia Jackson whisper. And according to Dorsey, even her whispers were extraordinary. Mahalia Jackson would still be singing in the back of some church choir, which means we would never hear Mahalia Jackson belt out some of the greatest gospel notes that the world has ever heard. We would have never heard Mahalia Jackson's rendition of Amazing Grace. We would have never heard Mahalia Jackson sing How I Got Over. We would have never heard Mahalia Jackson belt out, Precious Lord, take my hand. And there's an additional consequence we would have never gotten to hear one of the most iconic lines and one of the most iconic speeches of all time. When Martin Luther King gave his famous 
I have a dream speech. The part that you and I remember was not in his notes. Mahalia Jackson was sitting behind King and she prompted King to begin to tell America about his dream by yelling from behind King, King, tell him about your dream. If Mahalia Jackson didn't come to a point that she believed that she could through God's enabling power, we would have never heard Martin Luther King give America his iconic vision of what this country could be. And we don't know what the person next to you is losing. We don't know what this community of believers is losing. We, we don't know what Brooklyn is losing. We don't know what America is losing. We don't know what the world is losing. Because you've believed Satan's lies about yourself, that you are incapable of doing what God has called you to do. Verse 11 is God's response to Moses' self-doubt and Moses' admission of his insecurities. It is God's attempt to reassure Moses that he has not made a mistake in calling him to function as Israel's emancipator. But verse 11 is not simply God's word of reassurance to Moses alone. It is God's word of reassurance to every one of us. All of us who because of our insecurities believe that we can't. All of us who because of the enemy's lies believe that we are incapable. All of us who, who, who because of what Satan has told us believe that, that we cannot do what God has called us to do. This, verse 11 is, is the beginning of God saying not just to Moses, but God saying to you, yes, you can. God's response to Moses' objections is God's response to any excuse that you have that leaves you sitting on the sidelines while God has an assignment for you to do. Your excuses don't hold weight before God because God is saying to you in this moment, yes, you can. Yes, you can because God is able to take creative responsibilities for our deficiencies. God is able to take creative responsibilities for our deficiencies. Listen to what God says in verse 11. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Moses needs reassurance. Moses needs encouragement. Moses needs to be able to feel better about himself. And you would think that the way God does that by, is to say to Moses, no, nah, you, you can really talk. Yeah, you can say everything that I need you to say, but no, in the text, God doesn't say that. What God says is that if you have a problem, if you have a deficiency, it's because 
I gave it to you, God says to Moses. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, in taking creative responsibility for human deficiencies, God is not saying that he is solely responsible for our deficiencies, but God is saying that because he's sovereign, he is ultimately responsible. God is not afraid to take responsibility for everything about us, the things that we consider good and the things that we consider bad. And even the things that we consider bad about ourselves, God still looks at us and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If Moses has a deficiency that could possibly impede him from fulfilling his call, God says it is because he made Moses that way. God's point in assuming responsibility for Moses' perceived deficiency is to say to Moses that he made him that way. He is aware of how Moses is made and yet he has still called Moses. Think about it. Moses says, I am deficient in this way. God says, I know about your deficiency because I made you deficient, but yet I'm still calling you to this task. God calls people who have deficiencies God calls people who have handicaps. God calls people who lack certain skills. God calls people with certain shortcomings. All because in the economy of God, human giftedness is irrelevant because God knows how he can work in and through human deficiency. Let, let, let me say it again in case you missed it. What you can't do is irrelevant to God because God knows what he can do. You just missed your shouting point right there. What you are incapable of doing, your shortcomings, your deficiencies is irrelevant to God because God doesn't care about what you can and cannot do. God only cares about what he can and is capable of doing through you. Pointing out your deficiencies does not concern God because God knows what he can do. Muggsy Bogues is equipped to do any job in America except the very job that he felt God called him to. Muggsy Bogues at five, three and a half can serve as just about anything, but he felt that God called him to be a professional basketball player. Now, if you don't understand why standing five, three is a deficiency when it comes to playing basketball. That's probably because you don't watch a lot of basketball games. The average NBA athlete is six foot seven inches tall, which means Muggsy Bogues is a whole foot and a half shorter than the average, average NBA athlete. So when it comes to being 
a professional basketball player. Muggsy Bogues' height is a shortcoming. <laughs> that cracks me up. <laughs> Yet in spite of his shortcoming, Muggsy Bogues said he felt God was, was calling him to become a, an NBA player. And no matter how many people told Muggsy he was too short, he kept working towards his calling. His coach told him he was too short. His other players told him he was too short. Even his pastor and the people at his shirt, at his church, told him he was too short, but Muggsy believed that God was capable of overcoming his, here we go again. <laughs> Y'all knew it was coming, I cracked me up. <laughs> Muggsy Bogues believed that God was capable of overcoming his shortcomings. And Muggsy Bogues retired from professional basketball after spending a decade and a half in the NBA, despite the fact that God made him shorter than every NBA athlete ever. And if God can find a way to help a 5'3 athlete overcome his, here we go again. <laughs> his shortcomings. Don't you think that God can find a way to help everyone in this room overcome any deficiency in life that they may have. God says to Moses, it doesn't matter what you believe you can't do. I still called you anyway. God takes creative responsibility for Moses' defect in verse 11. And God takes corrective responsibility for Moses' defect in verse 12. Yes, you can, because God knows how to fix your problems. And in verse 12, God's solution to Moses is to say to Moses, I will be your mouth and teach you how to speak it. Note how comprehensive God's solution to Moses' problem is. God promises to both enable and equip Moses for the task. God is able to provide what you need to do the job and prepare you so that the job will ultimately get done. That is why when God calls us to something, you and I never have an excuse. When God calls you to something to say, I can't, is to cast doubt on God's ability to enable and equip you because if you truly couldn't, then God would not call you. And to say you can't is not to cast doubt on your power, it's actually to cast doubt on God's power. There's no such thing that you are incapable of doing if God is behind you. And there is no such thing that you can't do if God is it 
empowering you because God is able to replace your I cannot with his I can. And when we read through Exodus 3 and 4, there's a competition, competition that's going on. There, there's a tension between two eyes. Moses' eye and God's eye. When you read through that passage, Moses will always say, I can't. And God will always respond by saying, I can. And what God wants Moses to do is to replace his personal, I cannot, with God's divine, I can. And what God wants all of us to do is to replace our personal, I cannot, with God's divine, I can. What, what God wants you to do is to see his I as being bigger than your I. So long as you see your I as bigger than God's I, you will always believe that you can't. But when you get to the point where you see God's I as being bigger than your I, there's not a thing in the world that you won't believe you can do. It's because David saw God's eye as being bigger than his eye that he wasn't afraid to step before the giant Goliath. It's because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw God's eye as being bigger than their eye. They weren't afraid to step into a fiery furnace. It's because Peter saw God's eye as being bigger than his eye he wasn't afraid to address hundreds of tens of thousands of Israelites who came to Jerusalem wanting to hear a word from God. You and I need to be able to get to a point when we see God's eye as being bigger than our eye. And God's challenge for all of us this morning is to see him being bigger than you and to tap into his strength so that you can accomplish what God has called you to do. I'm, I'm almost done. Charlie Dates tells this story. His son one time brought, brought him a, a jar of apricots that he wanted to, to use to make a sandwich. And his son said, Dad, I, I can't open this jar. I am not strong enough. And, and he told his son, yes, you are. You're plenty strong to open that jar. And his son tried, tried, tried as he could. He couldn't open the jar. And, and his father kept saying to his son, I know you're strong enough to open the jar. But his son just couldn't open the jar. And, and with tears streaming down his eyes, he, he looked at his father and said, Dad, I'm not strong enough. I can't open the jar. And, and his father said, I know you're strong enough because you, you have more strength than you think. He's like, I, I, I don't have any more strength. And his father said, you, you do have more strength because you haven't asked me for help yet. You, 
are stronger than you think. You are more capable than you believe. You are more powerful than you give yourself credit for. If you believe that you aren't, it's because you haven't asked your Father in heaven for help yet. 